I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's sound portrait of an unlikely hero. The Air Hunters. Starring Ken Berry. Joanne Worley. And Edgar Bergen. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by Holiday Inns, Quaker State Motor Oil, and the Ford Motor Company. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. Dean Quinn, young Mr. Happy Go Lucky frolicking his way through life in search of the missing heir to a fortune. He enlists the financial assistance of Clarence J. Walden, a professional air hunter, in return for his services. The search leads Dean Quinn first to Seattle and a dead end, then to Chicago to an address listed in the old newspaper clipping, to the apartment house owned by Ignatz Pasek, and face-to-face with Pasek's young granddaughter, Stella, They meet again at Dean's hotel under an odd set of circumstances. Stella wants something. Out. Bus fare to California and a place to hide overnight. Dean wants no part of it. But he does want to find the missing heir. And what he finds is that now he's looking for one last link. The end of the family line. Helen Martin. He also finds himself half-drowned in a swimming pool in Palm Springs with a dead body floating in the deep end. To put it in Dean Quinn's own words, why me? The Air Hunters will continue after this word. The Marine Corps Reserves are looking for a few good men to help keep the peace. We're looking for men who understand that nobody likes to fight, but somebody has to know how. We want men who want to see their children grow up in an age of peace. Men who will do more than wish for it. Men who will work for it. Men who don't need the draft to know there's a job to be done. Men who ask themselves what they can do for their country and do it. We're looking for a few good men to stand with the Marine Corps Reserve. No shortcuts, no compromises, No promises except one. You'll be a Marine, and you'll be ready. That's the job of a peacekeeper. Here. Did, did I fall in and, and 
hit my head on the side of the pool, or, or did someone, whoever killed her, did they try to frame me? Come on, come on, Dean boy, put it together, or your ticket is forever punched. Chicago. Remember Chicago? Remember Stella? Stella was in my room at the Drake Hotel in Chicago when she told me about Charlie Martin. Charlie Martin is dead. He got killed in Korea. What about the little girl, Helen? I don't know what happened to her. Can I have that drink now? Yeah, help yourself. Who are you calling? Don't sweat, sweets. I'm not blowing the whistle on you. the voice of Clarence J. Walden, president of Clarence J. Walden and Associates Insurance Representatives, where we pride ourselves in paying our claims promptly. Boss, wait. Our office is closed for the day, but we'll be back tomorrow morning when the big hand is on the 12 and the little one is at the 9. Aren't you going to talk? Yeah, if he ever shuts up. If your call is urgent, please leave your name and number, and one of our representatives will get back to you as soon as possible. You will have exactly 10 seconds after you hear the little beep. Boss, this is Dean. Charles Kermit Martin was killed in Korean War, Illinois Regiment. Call VA, check where allotment was sent for his daughter, Helen Martin. Also insurance, call me at Drake Hotel, wire money. Sport, you sound like a disc jockey. Hey, what, what are you doing? Put your clothes back on. I'm getting into bed. I need my beauty rest. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think I'll sack out on the couch here. Uh, sweet dreams. I slept lousy that night. I kept waking up, hearing buzzing in my ears like I used to when pneumonia was coming on. A couple of times I thought I felt something warm cuddling up to me, but I couldn't tell for sure. It might have been just a vivid hallucination. In the morning I had a brute of a headache. My skin was crawling and I had a pretty good case of cotton mouth. Worst of all... I was in the bed. Stella was up and dressed. Stella, how did I get here? I, I mean, in the bed. I don't know. Did I get up and... I mean, we didn't... Uh... You kept kicking around saying you were cold. Well, I was. What time is it? Five o'clock. I'm bored. Five o'clock? You're going to fall out of bed if you keep jumping around. Oh, uh, some guy called while you were sleeping. I wrote it down. Walden called? You don't have to yell. Lay down. He said the name you wanted was Mrs. Vivian Clay, Route 1, Towan, Illinois. He also said he wasn't underwriting no playing around with girls. Oh, I'm going back to sleep. Maybe I'll get lucky and wake up dead. Boy, you're no fun. But I woke up alive the next morning. I just felt dead. I rented a car and Stella drove me to see Vivian Clay in Towan, a tiny town about 60 miles outside of Chicago. Hey, Deanie. Nice farm. <coughs> Is this the place? Mailbox says so. Then turn in. Mm -hmm. 
Vivian Clay was a gray-haired, pleasant woman with firm, regular features. She served us hot tea, which helped me listen as she explained that Helen Martin was her niece, whom she raised when her brother, Charlie Martin, died in Korea. She knew very little about Etta Rhine Martin other than that she was Helen's mother. Uh, this here is a picture of Helen taken when she graduated high school. Very pretty girl. That's a pretty old picture. Uh, Mrs. Clay, how old is Helen now? Well, uh, uh, 26. Helen travels a lot. After high school, she went to Northwestern. We saved her dad's army insurance. And then she went to study art in that Paris of Rome. Uh, later, she came back to New York and worked as one of them models. Where is she now? Uh, California. Pardon? My, my head's a little clogged. D did you say California? Yes, uh, near Los Angeles. Is there any place I can write her? Why, yes. Uh, she has a post office box in that uh, North Hollywood. I don't remember leaving Vivian Clay or her farm or driving back to Chicago or anything. I don't even know where or when I lost Stella Pasek. I was coughing and sneezing, dizzy, totally spaced out. I just wanted to get back to Beth. Somehow I did. Beth called a doctor, and he came and did his thing for four days. On the fifth day, my lungs breathed air again, and I sat up in Beth's king-size bed, ready for action. How are you feeling? Like 10,000 bucks. Girl, oh, am I glad to see you. I'll get it. Yes? Uh, what bungalow does Mr. Dean Quinn live in? This one. Uh, is he expecting you? Oh, sort of. I'm a very good friend of his, and he asked me to visit. Beth! Well, why don't you come in? Any friend of Dean's is a friend of mine. Oh, why me? Beth, this is Stella Pasek, uh, an acquaintance. Stella, Beth Temple. You don't look so good, Deanie. I've been sick, and I think I'm getting a relapse. Lucky I didn't catch your cold when you insisted I stay with you in that crummy hotel. What crummy hotel? Uh, Beth, please. Do you have a place to stay, dear? Not yet. I have a nice little bungalow, number nine, only $80 a month. It would make it awfully convenient for Deanie. <laughs> and you don't have any other friends here, and, uh, well, we could be friends, couldn't we? Oh, yes. I feel sick. Yeah. Let's get you settled. Uh, Stella, is it? dining out. Get together with Holiday Inn. Good food, good friends, together. If you drive a new car, maybe you've noticed some changes in how that new engine performs. Today's emission control is a part of the reason. 
They do cut down pollution, but they also cause severe engine heat that may rob your motor oil of its full power to protect your engine. Today, it's imperative to use only a premium quality oil. For your peace of mind, specify Quaker State. It's refined from 100% pure Pennsylvania-grade crude oil. Quaker State, your car, to keep it running young. I can always tell when I'm not being appreciated, so I got up and left the El Cairo. I hitched over to Universal City to see Walden and to bring him up to date. He was delighted to see me. Look at those expenses. Oh, it's nothing to get uptight about, Mr. Walden. We got an address for Helen Martin. Post office box, North Hollywood. Post office won't give you her home address. They don't give out that information except to the FBI or the IRS. And you aren't either of them. I know that. I, I wrote her a letter and I mailed it to the box number. I just need a little more time until she picks it up. All right, Quinn. You better find Helen Martin soon. I'm in business to find fortunes, not spend them. That evening when I got back to the bungalow, things had nearly returned to normal. Beth mixed up vodka martinis and brought out an old shoebox full of photographs. There were a lot of her as a small girl and some of her mother, Josie, who really was a fox, like she said. There was only one of her father, a man you couldn't pick out in a small crowd if you'd seen him a hundred times. But in the hodgepodge of snapshots was a picture of Edgar Rhine. He was in a photo with two other men, all of them grinning like idiots into the camera. From their clothes, I guessed it was taken around 1925. That one, with the sailor's jacket and derby. He's Edgar Rhine? That's him. Of course, when I saw him, he didn't look much like that. Yeah, 50 years in between can change a man. Uh, who are the two guys with him? I don't know. Uh, on the back, somebody wrote Ed, Hack, and Tony. Well, Ed's obviously Edgar Rhine. Uh, have you any idea who Hack and Tony are? Not the slightest. Uh, where'd the picture come from? Dad's things. I don't know how it got there, and Dad's name wasn't Hack or Tony. It was William Temple. Yeah. You ready for another drink? Don't rush. We're having a guest for dinner. Who? Stella. It seemed that the sweet, shy little country girl from the Mecca of the Corn Country had done right well for herself. Stella was now a cigarette girl at the Yodel Agogo, a rock joint on the Sunset Strip. It was enough to make a man give up smoking. Yes. Hello. Stella, darling. Oh, hello, Dean. You here? Beth, isn't my job simply wonderful? Just perfect. I'll get the drink so we can toast to your success. Well, will it make me sicky? I never had a drink till I met Dean. Hope I can hold it. <laughs> I don't believe it. Be back in a minute. Dean, will you come over to my place later? Uh, what do you hear from Chicago, kid? You'll be sorry. Where are you going? Just to the door for some air. I could have written a letter to dear Abby that would have given her a mental block. Anyway, a few days later, a tall, slender, beautiful blonde showed up at the post office and picked up my letter. I could tell it was the one I'd sent by the red envelope. 
she was driving away in a silver chrome-plated monster as I arrived to start my daily stakeout. But I got her license number, which Walden could check out through the Department of Motor Vehicles. This new development encouraged him enough to write to Cook County, Illinois, for a copy of Helen Martin's birth certificate to prove she was the legitimate heir of Edgar Rhine. I also convinced him that it was worth a gamble for me to go to San Francisco and see what the Maritime Union's main office had on Edgar Rhine. Not enough of a gamble, however, to buy me plane fare. Beth was kind enough to allow me the use of her car. Good old girl, oh. At the Maritime Union, a nice old lady named Miss Morrissey told me she'd been working there ever since she got out of business college, which I figured was about the time somebody invented the typewriter. She went through a lot of dusty old cardboard files. Aha! Here it is. Is this what you want? Uh, name, Edgar A. Rhine. Citizen USA, born March 13th, 1897. Place of birth, Morro Bay, California. Married? No. Uh, I'm guessing he was divorced. No, it would say if he was a divorced man. Oh, there must be some mistake. I know for a fact that Edgar Ryan was a family man. Who knows better, him or you? To the sea, with transportation to exciting places. Look close, it's the solid Ford Torino for 74. This is the spirited mid-size car, restyled with a new front end, opera windows, and luxurious new interiors. So get in, slam the door, and go. This is the solid mid-size car that says excitement for 74. Look close, you've got a solid car. mid-size Ford Torino for 74. The closer you look, the better we look. So with Miss Morrissey's information, the bottom fell out again. If old Edgar Rhine had never married, he couldn't have any direct heirs. Now, this had come up before, so I brushed it off and kept looking for Helen Martin. There had to be a connection. There were just too many unexplained coincidences otherwise. After I left the union office, I went over to the Daily Tribune. I placed a classified ad under personals. It read, Edgar A. Rhine, reward. Anyone having known him, write to Mr. Dean Quinn, care of Clarence J. Walden and Associates, Universal City, California. I drove like crazy to get back to L.A., but I had to lay over in Santa Maria, thanks to a bad cheeseburger. When I finally cruised Walden, he had all the poop on the silver monster I'd seen at the post office. It was registered to Florencia Monte, Acacia Drive, Brentwood. I didn't waste any time getting there. A butler, sporting a bit of a belly and a broken nose, informed me that no Helen Martin was there, ever had been, or was ever expected to be. But after some diplomatic negotiation on my part, he agreed to escort me to see Miss Monte, who did indeed live there, and at that point in time was sunning herself out by the swimming pool. It was the same blonde, all right. 
She was stretched out on the diving board, wearing a sliver of a bikini, tanning herself, head cradled in her arms. I couldn't see her face. Without moving her head, she said, What do you want? Are you Helen Martin? No. You are Florenzia Monti? Via, please. You know Helen Martin? Yes. I know her, but I don't like to feel responsible for her. I keep a post office box in the valley for my own personal use. With a house full of servants, one has very little privacy. Yeah, I know what you mean. Every letter that comes, all my own special little secrets. <laughs> anyway, I gave Helen permission to use my post office box. Don't you forward her mail? Yes, certainly, whenever she writes to tell me where she is. I haven't heard from her in over a year. Uh, last time, where from? Hong Kong, I think, or some such place. She travels, buys, imports clothes. How long have you known Helen Martin? Oh, years. Six, perhaps, or seven. I met her when she was studying in Paris. My family keeps a place there, although they live in Rome. And you met again here in California? Something like that. We've kept in touch. Do you have Helen's last forwarding address? Someplace around. I'll have to look for it. If I find it, I'll let you know. Yeah, do that. I'll leave my card. I'll write down another number where I can be reached. Oh, you are an insurance man. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, claims paid promptly, it says right there. I hope I'll be hearing from you, Miss Monty. Zia. See ya, Zia. After meeting with Florencia Monti, I paid a visit to the bank where Walden did his business. I asked Tilford Jones, one of the vice presidents, to give me a Dun and Bradstreet report on Florencia Monti. He told me that she was triple A1, top credit rating, which came as no surprise after I'd peeped her palace. Jones also gave me the lowdown on her personal background when I asked for it. Zia Monti was a legal representative with power of attorney for Roma Fiducia, an Italian holding company under a Swiss charter. Jones explained that the company was primarily an investment house and did very little trading in stocks and bonds, all of which meant nothing to me. Zia was working here under the supervision of her home office, and she was very likely a blood relative of one of the company's high executives. A lot of the old European firms still did business in the old-fashioned way, keeping it in, in, in the family. I thanked Jones for the information, and while I still had use of Beth's car, drove back to Universal City to see if Walden had anything further for me. So what's the skinny on the Mountie woman? Well, she's above board, boss, but she's not Helen Martin. Didn't expect she would be. Now, don't worry, Mr. Walden. Something has to break soon. I think Helen Martin is in China. China? Hey, why don't you take a break, Quinn? Go home. Go back to law school. Oh, Rome wasn't built in a day, you know. What's that got to do with Helen Martin? Oh, I don't know. She studied there. Uh, Quinn, you're a nice kid. I like you. Now, let's leave it at that. Oh, by the way, a letter came for you. And in the future, you won't use this address. It's from San Francisco. Dear sir... Read your ad in the San Francisco Tribune regarding Edgar Rhine. Used to know a man by that name once. Don't know if he's the same one you mean. Note your address is Los Angeles. My ship will make San Pedro on the 19th and sail early the morning of the 20th. 
You can look me up while I am there. Yours truly, Albert Chris, second officer, S.S. McAllister. The 19th. Well, that's today. Finally, your dumbness will kill you if you're not careful. Because you'll go charging off one last time into someone with a cannon in his fist who's waiting just for you. Had I but known. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Air Hunters. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. Today's episode brought to you in part by Holiday Inn's Quaker State Motor Oil and Ford Motor Company. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. You have been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to the Zero Hour. This is the Mutual Radio Network. Hindi cinema biggest celebration. Watch the 69th Hyundai Film Fair Awards 2024 with Gujarat Tourism on Sunday 18th February 9 p.m. Only on ZT.